Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh and welcome to myself, Shaista Ibrahim, this fantastic morning on Inside Out on Sirius FM 105.7 coming to you live from the East Rand and broadcasting to more than 120 countries around the world. Assalamu alaikum. I am so pleased today. I'm actually very, very chuffed. I'm very nervous as well. I've been sitting here with knots in my stomach. Um, I actually have a wonderful, wonderful program lined up for you today. We have Sister Yvonne Ridley as my guest. So uh, we will be calling her in a short while. But I'm extremely nervous because Yvonne Ridley is somebody that is such a high-profile person, um, not only in the Islamic world, but amongst females. I mean, she is. she's just... You know, phenomenal. She's been through so much. She's a great ambassador for Islam. She's taken on the roles of, um, well, she's a journalist and, you know, she advocates human rights, female rights. It is, it's such a pleasure. And, um, you know, I, I do get to interview a lot of people. And Alhamdulillah, over time, we've interviewed people from Palestine and Syria. And, um, I think it was, um, Oh, there was a lady here from the States that was um, Sister Dina. And so there's, there's been a lot of people, but she's been especially famous and fantastic that I've, alhamdulillah, managed to secure Sister Yvonne Ridley for today's interview. So I'm actually very, very chuffed. Firstly, before we start anything, really, and this is how every one of us should start our day, I think I just jump into everything and then I realize, no, take it back one notch. So firstly, let us breathe and thank Allah SWT for this fantastic day. The weather is beautiful. Everyone is well. Um, Alhamdulillah, the fact that we are alive, we have this day to do so much good deeds. We, we have this day to better ourselves. We have this day... Um, to do as we please in trying to, uh, in accordance with Allah's Mandela's commandments. Now, a wonderful way to start any conversation, I know, is some kind of uh, Islamic inspiration. And he said that whenever we take the name of Allah's Mandela, then he takes our name as well amongst the angels. And he boasts to them that, listen to my banda, how awesome, you know, they're thinking of me. So today's hadith, and this is what I'd love you to listen to, it is uh, related by Abdullah bin Mas'ud, and he narrates, that Nabi Salaam once passed by the Sahaba and asked, Do you know what your Rabb has said? And they replied, Allah and his messenger know best. And he asked again, Do you know what your Rabb has said? And they replied the same. And this happened a third time. Then Nabi Salaam then said, That Allah Ta'ala himself has said, That I swear by my might and glory, That I shall place in Jannah those who offer Salah, on time. As for those who don't offer salah on time, it's up to me to forgive them or to punish them. That is our inspiration for this morning. It is extremely important to read salah on time. Firstly, it's extremely important to read salah, period. Um, it is also once something to the effect in the hadith that a person who does not uh, read salah is um, somebody that um, to, there, there is no iman in that person, you know, because it is really an important, a really huge uh, branch of our iman. Um, so... And and if we don't have salah in our lives, then really, how do we communicate with Allah? It is beautiful way to ask for whatever we want and whatever we need. So, alhamdulillah. Okay, so I'm going to give you a little bit of information, some background info for those of you that don't. Because I was very chuffed with myself. I spoke to my daughter and she said, hmm, the name sounds familiar, but I'm not too sure. I think she's a bit young um, to completely understand 
what um, you know and who Yvonne Ridley is. So this is what I'd love to tell you who she is, her her little biography, and then we will, um, and then we will go through to or to the lines and get her on the line. So. A little bit about her. She's a British journalist. Yvonne first came to international fame. She was captured by the Taliban in Afghanistan shortly after the events of 9-11. Her story captured the imagination of many. And two years later, she confounded critics when she converted, well, we say reverted to Islam after reading the Holy Quran. Now, it transpired that um, she was in captivity for 10 days and the Taliban forced her to embrace Islam. And she said no, she couldn't make such a life-changing decision based on um, a, a forceful uh, manner that they, they, they put onto her. So she said that she promised them that she would consider it after going deeply into reading the Holy Quran. And alhamdulillah, three months after that, just three months, she... Um, read the Quran and then she embraced Islam. And since then, and, and she's written a book, and this is a beautiful book that I'd love to talk to her about as well. Um, she actually got the help of um, uh, Taki Usmani, Justice Taki Usmani, who helped her. And the book is called Don't Shoot the Messenger. Uh, apparently, it's one of its kind. It's fantastic. I'd love to hear what she has to say about the book. Um, She's a global speaker now on women's rights. She speaks out in defense of Islam. She she was really a humanitarian. She works. She's a peace worker in so many different areas of war. She she goes into natural disaster areas. She has joined the Free Gaza movement, which we, while she was involved with them, she saw two boats break the siege of Gaza that was in 2008 and earned praise from the United Nations. So she's really a fantastic, brilliant human being who is not shy to talk about Islam, to bring to the fore all the atrocities that are happening around the world, somebody who stands up for truth, somebody who stands up for justice, somebody who's trying to make a difference. And when she's not doing all of this, she is running a peafowl sanctuary on a farm in the Scottish borders. Now, having come back from Scotland about two months ago, I can tell you that it is the most idyllic place on earth. I mean, if you see certain pictures, it is exactly like the pigs. The grass is an amazing green. It's not a normal green. It's not even neon. It's almost in between. It is almost an idyllic life. It's peaceful. It's calm. And so she obviously balances her life with uh, the forefront of war and um, humanitarianism. And then all of a sudden, she goes back to this little farm where she recuperates and she just um, takes in what life has to offer. So we are going to be chatting to her in a short while. Um, please stay tuned to your dial. Save 43,000 rand when you buy a new Ford EcoSport 1.5 Ambient from only 209,000 rand at Imperial Ford Airport Park, Germiston, with features like 200 millimeters ground clearance and hill launch assist for easy hill starts. Take the road less traveled because you can. Call us on 011-383-5000 to book a test drive today or visit us at 16 Dakota Crescent, Airport Park, Germiston. T's and C's apply. Ford, go further.
The Palestine Solidarity Alliance brings you the 7th annual Walk for Palestine 2017 at the Willowmore Park in Benoni on the 29th of October. 7.5 kilometer walk, exciting flea market stalls, tantalizing food stalls, tea garden by the Benoni Ladies Forum, kiddies rides and entertainment. Live program broadcast on Sirius FM. Bring the whole family for a funful day for a worthy cause. There will be a Palestine exhibition tent. For store bookings, call or WhatsApp 0 0713978082 or general info call 0612342237 or 0731810516 Stay with us on Serious FM. Like a soldier, I'ma stand up and pray to my Lord. Like a soldier, I'ma fast my 30 days for my Lord. Like a soldier, calculate the cat and pray to my Lord. Like a soldier, had to know rugged way for my Lord. Like a soldier, I'ma stand up and pray to my Lord. Like a soldier, I'ma fast my 30 days for my Lord. Like a soldier, calculate the cat and pay for my Lord. Like a soldier, had your number gets made for my Lord. Like a soldier, I don't need to bust my gun to be a soldier. They can say what they want, I'm a soldier. And I don't need to drop no bombs to be a soldier. Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh. And we are back. Um, finally, we have Sister Yvonne Lee on the line. And again, it is my absolute pleasure that she has made herself available to chat to us today. So, Assalamu alaikum warahmatullahi wabarakatuh, Sister Yvonne. Walaikum salam. Really good to talk to you. I am so, so happy. I, I can't tell you I was nervous. I was in knots earlier because you are such a high profile person, somebody that we've been following in the media forever. And to have you on our show, really, it is quite an honor and privilege for me. So Jazakallah once again. Thank you. Okay, so we're going to start with the lighter stuff, I think, before we get into a little bit more um, difficult questions. A lot of people... Um, well, you know, I'm going to have a lot of questions, and I know a lot of people said they're sending a lot of questions. So we're going to start right at the beginning. So far, how has your trip to South Africa been? I know you've been involved in the uh, South African National Muslim Women's Forum Annual Youth um, Empowerment Conference, and you've been really busy since you've got here. Um, I have to say, I don't think I've stopped, but it's <laughs> been an absolute sheer delight because... Most of the time, I've been in the company of uh, South Africa's women, and they are amazing, uh, inspirational, strong, uh, determined women from all walks of life, all classes. It's been an absolute privilege and joy um, to meet them all. And, uh, it, it, you know, as always in South Africa, the sun is shining, people are smiling. What's not to love about this country? <laughs> Absolutely. You know, I, I follow the weather around the world, and I think at the moment in your part of the world, it's like 10 degrees and 9, it's pretty cold and uh, miserable. So, yeah, this is great, isn't it? <laughs> Yes, yes, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> Wonderful. Okay, so what is your general impression of the South African community and us South Africans in general, you know, for, as an outsider coming in? 
Well, um, especially the Muslim community in South Africa is so much more confident um, than uh, our counterparts in parts of England. And it's, uh, and I specifically say England because, um, rather than Britain, because I'm living in Scotland and I see quite a different sort of confidence in the Scottish Muslim community. Right. So, um, but it's great coming here. Um, people are more confident. But of course, you have been through the pain of the apartheid years that are still raw still fresh in people's minds. So, um, you know, it, it's, uh, that is something that uh, we in the UK or across Europe have not been exposed to. Um, however, at the moment, we are getting a terrible rise in Islamophobia uh, in uh, Europe, which isn't in evidence here. Yes, absolutely. Alhamdulillah. But, um, you know, being... A journalist. I mean, you've obviously taken it to a different level, but how did your interest in journalism start? It started when I was 14 years old. Um, I wrote a letter to my local newspaper about some power cuts that were happening at the time. And the letter got quite a response over the next few days in the newspaper. And quite a few people came up to me or contacted my mother saying, oh, we saw Yvonne's letter. And I suddenly began to realize the power of the, the written word, and yes. how you can uh, make people sit up and listen uh, with a few words. And so that got me to thinking that maybe I could um, use this to uh, a, a, as a career. And I began looking at journalism, and from the age of 14, that was it. I, I just had this focus that I wanted to be a journalist, that I wanted to make a change in people's lives. And... Uh, I, I still get a kick out of it today, 40 years on. Absolutely. I mean, it's fantastic. And it's amazing the amount of difference you can make. I mean, you know, and, and all it takes is one person just voicing something and, and voila, you know, things happen. Yes. Yes. And, and I would say to all of your listeners out there, never underestimate the power of the written or spoken word. Uh, far, far more powerful than bombs and bullets. And, uh, and you know, this is a, a career that I wish more Muslim mothers would encourage their children to go into, um, you know, in the same passion as they all want to have lawyers and doctors in the family. Absolutely. You know, um, I'm glad that you'd say that because my daughter's actually doing her honours in journalism this year. And, and I just, you know, keep on telling her there is just so much that she can do that is possible. And, um, you know, and, and I see you as such a wonderful ambassador for this. So I'm, I'm hoping that she's listening and paying attention. <laughs> Let's hope so. Our children are our biggest critics, but they're also our biggest supporters as well. Absolutely. Now, I need to ask, you know, what, what were you reporting? What were you covering in 2001 when the Taliban had actually kept you hostage? Yes, well, I was um, 
It, it was after the horrific events of 9-11 and the war drums were beating loudly with Washington, London and Islamabad cutting pressure on the Taliban regime to hand over Osama bin Laden. They uh, suspected him of masterminding the 9-11 atrocities. And so as the chief reporter of the Sunday Express, I was sent to Pakistan to wait for the war to begin. Um, but I'm an impatient soul, and I was after a story, so I decided to sneak into Afghanistan wearing the all-enveloping blue burqa right. and, uh, and, and find out what life was like under the Taliban because we were told by George Bush and Tony Blair this was the most evil, brutal regime in the world, True. and uh, they wouldn't lie to us, would they? So <laughs> I wanted to find out for myself, you First know, hand. just what is, the, what is this regime re really like? I didn't expect to get a first-hand experience. Absolutely. That took you by surprise, I'm sure. <laughs> it certainly did. Mm -hmm. What was your time like with the Taliban during, what was it, 10 days, isn't it? It was um, 11 days, uh, 10 nights. It was terrifying. Okay. I had uh, bought into the propaganda, and, you know, I would say to your listeners um, who tune into the news, who read the news um, regularly, uh, look at everything because there are times when we don't know um, where, whether we're reading propaganda or we're reading um, a factual account of events unfolding. And there was a lot of propaganda around the Taliban at the time because the drums of war were beating. And you can't drop bombs on nice people. So you have to demonize uh, your target first then drop bombs um, on them. And the Taliban who held me, um, and I think there's quite a different Taliban in existence today, but the Taliban who held me, who were under the control of their spiritual leader, the late um, Mullah Omar, yes. treated me with um, courtesy and respect. And that is something that I hadn't expected and even though they treated me with courtesy and respect for the entire time I was in captivity, I was uh, permanently expecting to be taken out and shot at any moment. So it was quite a um, terrifying. quite a, a terrifying experience. It was only when they did release me on humanitarian grounds, after I said, you know, let me go and I'll read your holy Quran. It was only on the point of release that I realized uh, that um, the ones that helped me weren't this evil, brutal regime that uh, George Bush and Tony Blair mm. wanted us to believe. That's true. It kind of makes you um, criticize or at least, you know, question everything that we read today. And we should be because there's just so much out there that's really not true. Um, what is specific about, you know, reading the Quran and, and accepting Islam? I mean, you know, was there any specific aha moment for you or was there any verses? I mean, what appealed to you? What was it that captured your soul and said, this is it? This is the true religion? Well, I was a practicing Christian, so I was already praying to the same God um, yes. as Muslims, just a different methodology. What convinced me, 
you know, as a Christian, we're told, love thy neighbor, go around and, and smile and do good deeds. And that is the easiest thing in the world to do, isn't it? To get up every day and be nice to people. It's so easy to do. But what impressed me about Islam was the theme of justice which ran through the pages. And this was, we must deliver justice in equal measure yes. to our enemies as well as our friends and family. So to put strangers on a, an equal platform with um, your enemy is something that uh, really uh, takes quite a lot of doing. You know, this uh, theme of forgiveness, justice, fair treatment, equality uh, really impressed me. And so I, um, I wasn't a bad person as a Christian, yes. but I just think I'm a better person as a Muslim. Wow, that's, that's phenomenal. I mean, was, was, you know, the behavior that the Taliban showed you, did that actually play a big role for you as well? The fact that you were not treated badly or they were not, mm. um, you know, hostile and harsh to you in that time? Well, what I realized by observing the Taliban for 11 days was that Islam is not a religion that you pick up and put down on Friday for, for Friday prayers. Islam is a way of life. It's the way you eat, the way you sleep, the way you conduct yourself, the way you dress. And I realized that um, as a journalist, if I was to report with any authority on the Middle East and Asia, I really needed to know more about this great faith because quite clearly it uh, was part and parcel of people's uh, everyday life. Absolutely. I mean, that's, that's, that's phenomenal by itself. Now, I'm just thinking, you know, if a person in my mind, I've got this whole idea, if somebody's in cap captivity, I mean, how were you reacting? Would you, you know, I'm just judging by the way we see movies. Do you kind of scream and shout? Were they sitting with you and having little decent conversations? I mean, you know, during that period of time, it was one thing for them to be a certain way with you, but for you, how, how was your reaction, your behavior? How were you handling the whole situation? Well, you know, critics of mine, and there are many out there, say, oh, she's a victim of Stockholm Syndrome. This is where you bond with your captors. And I have to say, they obviously have not read my story because I had decided, as you've already heard, that they were going to kill me. Right. And I just thought, if I'm nice to these people, they're still going to kill me. So you know what? I'm going to be the prisoner from hell. Yes. And that is, um, you know, I just wanted to uh, to get this over and done with quickly. And so I um, was rude. I was uh, obnoxious. I uh, swore at them. I spat at them. I threw things at them. I mean, these poor men must have thought, my goodness, these <laughs> Western women are even worse than we had imagined. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> Yes. So, um, but mm. w throughout, while I was acting in this rude, undignified manner, they kept saying to me, why are you angry? You know, you are mm. our guest. We want you to be happy. Wow. And I was thinking, but why are you behaving like this? You're supposed to be brutal and evil. Mm. And what don't you understand about your job description? <laughs> so... As I say, it was only at the point of release 
when I walked across no man's land back into Pakistan that I realized that the, uh, the Taliban had indeed treated me with courtesy and respect. Wow. And how did you manage to convince them? Um, okay, I actually have a question from a listener. Um, they want to know, okay, prison, was it a, you know, prison when they got you? Was it in a room? Were you in a masjid? Um, were you in a cage? Were you in a prison? I mean, what mm-hmm. was the environment, if you can maybe just describe that a bit for them? And what did you eat? That's, that's yes, the question. Uh, yes. Um, well, I, I was on hunger strike. Okay. And, uh, so I didn't eat, uh, anything. As uh, wow. I, I had the privilege just the other day of going to the Ahmed Kathadra um, yes. Foundation, and I met uh, Chima there, yes. and and we, um, of course, my experience was nothing compared to the the horrors of uh, Robben Island. But he said to me, the only power that a prisoner has mm-hmm. is is to uh, go on hunger strike. And it's true, it's the only form of control that you have. So I went on hunger strike. For the entire for those, time. For those 11 days, which wow. really um, upset the, uh, the Taliban. For the first six days, I was held in, uh, in a room with a lovely Afghan rug and some air conditioning. And that turned out to be ex-King Shah's winter residence. Um, it wasn't as grand as it sounds, but it was nice. And I had running water and a power shower, okay. so, and a flush toilet. So I was quite happy. Um, and then for the last four or five days, I was sent to a prison in Kabul, which was everything that you can imagine of a third world prison. It was awful. Um, no running water, hot and cold running water, no um, flush toilet, uh, just a, a squat, squatty potty, as I called them. And it, it was, uh, you know, bars at the window, concrete floors. Um, it, it was really grim. And uh, But I discovered on subsequent trips to Afghanistan, that when I was first captured, Mullah Omar just imagined that I was a woman, uh, was a man. And on the fifth or sixth day, he'd spoken to his head of intelligence in Jalalabad and said, what's happening with the British journalist? And he said, uh, oh, she. And he said, what do you mean, she? And he said, well, the British journalist is a woman. And Mullah Omar had no idea. And he said, oh. has she any female company? And they said no. And he said, well, get her out of there and put her somewhere where there are other women. This is not uh, what we stand for. And uh, so that's why, uh, one of the reasons why I was moved. The other reason was that mm-hmm. there was an Al-Qaeda camp nearby and some of the Arabs were wanting uh, to come and uh, have me executed. And I know this because when I was out covering the war um, in Libya, I actually bumped into one of um, these uh, Arab men and he said to me, it was nothing personal, but we wanted to execute you oh my. and uh, to, to send a message out to the West. I said, well, thank goodness you didn't because, you know, 
I wouldn't have uh, ended, ended up embracing Islam. <laughs> Absolutely. Fantastic. Um, and did you manage to convince them? I mean, how did you convince them that, yes, okay, I promise I will read the Quran? Did they kind of keep track on you after that, you know? Uh, no, I think they just thought that I would uh, leave Afghanistan and um, perpetuate the propaganda and lies. Um, all I did uh, was tell the truth. People didn't want to hear the truth. They were outraged. You know, Britain was at war with the Taliban. Mm. Why is this woman saying that they treated her with respect? And, you know, people still now ask me, how did the Taliban treat you? And I'll say to them, do you want the truth or do you want lies? Yes. And invariably they say, I want the truth. And I will say, well, you're not going to like it. But, and I tell them the truth. And they don't like it because, as I said before, um, no one likes the idea of dropping bombs on uh, on nice people, but unfortunately, uh, the bombs are still dropping on Afghanistan. Mm. The plight of the Afghan women is no better. Um, and in fact, you know, um, I, I've been back to Afghanistan a few times, and I do speak to Afghan women outside of the capital, and th their condition is miserable. And you know, we have betrayed those Afghan women. Uh, all sorts of promises were made to them uh, when they were liberated, and I'm using liberate in quotation marks here, yes. and uh, th they were betrayed terribly by the West, and the, um, the life of an Afghan woman is, has not really improved at all. Now that's actually quite sad because it's nine years on since that time, isn't it? It's more than that now. The, yeah. uh, the, the war started on October the 7th, 2001. Yeah. So it's um, 16 years of uh, weasel words and betrayal by the West. Wow. Okay, so we have a few more questions from listeners. Okay, one, um, were there any other prisoners with you or were you alone? Well, when I was uh, captured, I was with my two guides and members of their family, and the two guides were arrested along with me. There was a child with us, but she was handed back um, to family um, within days. And uh, after I was released, the war had started, and my guides were released as well. They, um, I pleaded on the BBC's Pashtun radio service uh, to the Taliban saying, please show these men the same humanitarian kindness you showed me. And alhamdulillah, they, uh, they did release them. I've since mm -hmm. met up with them. Mm -hmm. And uh, they are delighted that I'm now a Muslim. And, uh, of course, they're taking credit as well. <laughs> um, so... <laughs> Uh, it, it's uh, um, everyone who was with me did survive. Alhamdulillah, that's wonderful to hear. I'm also just thinking, I think they captured the right person. I mean, you know, any ordinary person, I know that sounds terrible, but, you know, would you just go home quietly, sit and just make, you know, lots of sugar that they are alive, and you've just not <laughs> sat still for a minute. <laughs> no, well, I'm, um, I am a, uh, I thrive on hard work. And uh, before I converted to Islam, I used to work hard and play hard 
and party like nobody else. Um, and now I channel all of that energy still into journalism, but also getting out there uh, to meet other women uh, in the Ummah and to uh, give empowerment talks and, uh, and, and to women in the wider world as well. Wonderful. Now, um, I have another question for you. Somebody wants to know, um, what was it like for your family? Did they embrace you after embracing Islam? Um, my family weren't supportive when I became a Muslim, although my mother and father initially were delighted that I had stopped drinking, stopped smoking, <laughs> and stopped being the party girl. Okay. But uh, they... Um, when I put on the hijab about a year after I embraced Islam, they were horrified and, and said that I was an extremist. And all the prejudices that Muslims face today, yes. um, unfortunately, you know, it's there in my family. It's close to home. Right. And it is like that for a lot of um, converts or reverts to Islam. Mm. You know, there is a lot of hostility and negativity in the family. And I would say to... Um, to the wider Muslim community, uh, it is tough being a Muslim, but it's quite tough uh, being a revert to Islam because um, you get hostility from within your own family and sometimes hostility from uh, within the Muslim community as well. It's a very difficult subject, but unfortunately there is racism in the Muslim community uh, towards converts. Not everyone wants a white or a black daughter-in-law or son-in-law. And so there is <coughs> this hostility. And of course, there is no place in Islam for mm. any sort of bigotry. Absolutely. Wow. So, I mean, sometimes, you know, I think you can empathize with everybody that talks about what, how difficult it is today, especially um, just being a Muslim, never mind just reverting. Yes, it is. It's, it's very tough, especially in Europe, um, which is why, you know, I love coming to South Africa because mm. um, I recharge my batteries here. You know, the, the women here are extraordinary. Uh, the brothers are very strong. And because you've all been through the pain of the apartheid years, uh, you know the pain of bigotry and the harm that racism can do. Absolutely. Now, I do have another question for you. Today, we decided we're not going into ad break. We're not taking any. Um, we just we just want to chat. I mean, really, I just want to get as much information as I can from you uh, until before 10. So um, another reader, another listener at least asks, do you have any advice for anyone who is struggling with religion and who knows nothing about Islam? What I would say to... Um to any non-Muslims or to those who are feeling a bit shaky in their faith is go to the farewell message of our beloved Prophet Muhammad, peace be upon him. Read his farewell message. It's absolutely incredible and uh, it, it's inspiring and it reminds us all of what Islam is about. And uh, in his farewell message, he made it quite clear that uh, there is no superiority of one human being over another on anything, uh, on any level 
other than on piety. Yes. And, you know, when we, um, when the day of judgment comes, we won't be judged on our power, our wealth, our position. We'll be judged on our piety, our taqwa, our closeness to Allah. And so I would say to anybody, if you're feeling a bit wobbly, read the farewell message. Wow, I think that's beautiful. I just, you know, we actually went into quite a bit of detail during the days of um, Hajj with the farewell message. And I mean, it is, you know, you're so spot on. It is so inspirational. It encompasses every part of our lives. And you're right. If we just read that and live by that and just take that in, I mean, that's fantastic, really. Um, okay, so now... I believe that you've written a new book, Alhamdulillah, Don't Kill the Messenger. I mean, that sounds amazing. Please tell us more about this book of yours. Well, um, it's not published yet. The publisher has asked me for about four more chapters. It's on the life of uh, the Prophet Muhammad. It's, you know, I'm a tabloid journalist. That is my background. So it's not some heavy scholarly academic tome. It's um, written for Muslims like me who are new to Islam. It's written for people who are curious about Islam um, and, and, and indeed want to know more about the founder of Islam. You know, just about everybody in the world today, east, west, north and south, has heard the name Muhammad and they want to know who is this uh, this individual? And I've written the book from the perspective of his enemies because they say you can judge a person by the company he keeps. Mm. Well, I also believe you can judge somebody by the enemies they have. Yes. And, uh, and Muhammad has had uh, thousands of enemies over the centuries. And I've looked at the narratives of these enemies from the 7th century to the present day. And it changes regularly. Mm-hmm. And uh, what I've done is I've looked at these and to make sure that I haven't um, offended anyone, I asked Justice Taki Asmani, right. um, a great scholar in um, Karachi whose, whose uh, knowledge is internationally recognized, um, I asked him to, to go through what I've written so far, which he has done. And uh, so that's, that has been uh, really uh, useful And uh, because I would hate to write a book and then end up um, in a Salman Rushdie situation. Absolutely. So, uh, you know, I want it to be a, a bestseller for all the right reasons. And uh, so... Inshallah, it should come out in um, in uh, the next year. And uh, I've uh, been on Twisting Salam Media, who mm-hmm. have uh, brought me out here with, along with the uh, South African uh, Women's Network to uh, to maybe consider inviting me back again <laughs> when the book is ready to launch, because I think that this would be a great platform. For, um, uh, for the book I think that would be It sounds wonderful It sounds brilliant Are you planning to write anything After you've actually done this one Because I know you still have four chapters to go But are you contemplating yes. writing in the future Well I've also started On a uh, fictional trilogy 
And I live in Scotland these days, and the Scottish history is incredible. And I've used um, the backdrop of uh, Scotland over the last 700 years um, in its fight for independence for a fictional uh, book. Uh, well, it's a trilogy. And so I'm, I'm having great fun with, uh, with that. Wow, that's fantastic. I, I can imagine because I've actually just come back from a trip about two months ago and I think your part of the world is beautiful. You know, it uh, was, it's just, it was stunning. The days were long. We had sort of decent weather, I think, compared to South African weather. But actually, you know, you, you kind of think of that weather, uh, it's synonymous with those areas. So it was just, you know, spot on. Um, I think my husband's only regret was that we didn't get to have any Kobe uh, meat because you just see these amazing cows everywhere. Yes, uh, well, um, there are some, uh, some great butchers in, uh, in, uh, Stirling, Edinburgh and Glasgow. And, uh, you know, you can, uh, if you know where to look, get, um, Highland beef, uh, in Halal. Yes. Uh, butchers. And you can also get ha- Halal haggis, which oh. is, uh, which is great. You know, this, this is what I was saying before about the confidence of the Scottish Muslim community. Mm. They have their own tartan. Uh, they have these wonderful Scottish accents. And uh, they have been able to embrace and integrate into uh, Scottish society without having to dilute their Islam. So they've, um, you know, they've got this wonderful balance and this is something that's absent um, from pockets of the Muslim community in England. And I do worry because some people are retreating into Islamic bubbles and not mixing uh, beyond the Muslim community. And it's, it's not healthy because, you know, we... Um, we are large in numbers in various countries, but um, we uh, the reason why Islam is right across the world is because right in those early days, Muslims reached out to non-Muslim communities, and we must, you know, continue doing that. Absolutely. Now, um, what do you have? What advice do you have for people who want to get involved in social activism? Well, to to the young people, especially listening today, mm. um, you have got all these platforms, Twitter, Instagram, Facebook. Uh, there's something called Snapchat, which I haven't quite got the grip of yet, it's but I'm told teen, that it's, it's a young person's it, thing, I think, really. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. there, there are all these platforms which we can use to promote Islam. There's no reason why... Uh, if you are at home and, and it's difficult to get out and about because you've got the children, um, there's no reason why you shouldn't start a blog and start promoting Islam through um, writing a blog. And, uh, you know, um, we shouldn't be silent. <coughs> We need to, to use these social platforms mm. um, because, you know, these platforms are being hijacked by the haters and we need to, to combat that and, uh, and, and respond to them. 
And and the the best way we can do that is through Twitter, through social media, through blogs. And to um, the parents out there who say, oh, it's, you know, I, I, am, I, I don't know how to do this. Well, learn. If I mm-hmm. can do it, anyone can. You know, when I first started off as a journalist, I had a pen and a notebook. Yes. And then um, I moved to a typewriter and uh, now um, I'm on a computer. So if I can make those changes, anyone can. Oh, that's, that's amazing. That's fantastic. Now, what advice could you give us as South Africans who are kind of despondent now about the political instability in South Africa? Well, I'm glad you raised that. Um, you know, I said I wish um, all the Muslim parents out there would get their children involved in the media. Mm. What I would say is get your daughters involved in politics because we need more women Regardless of faith, we need more women in politics. Uh, let's face it, the men are making a mess of things. And uh, there's no excuses. It is the men's fault. Uh, you look at the, the Muslim world, you look at the makeup of the Arab League, and it's wall-to-wall men, masters of the universe, who frankly made a dog's dinner of, um, of, of uh, life for Muslims across the Muslim world, what I would say to parents is get your girls involved in politics now. Um, we need to get gender balances in governments. And of course, there'll be some men out there slamming the kitchen table going, oh, she's one of these feminists. I'm not, um, uh, uh, I, I don't hate men. In fact, I think some of our biggest supporters come uh, from uh, from brothers out there. But we need to get a gender balance in government. Mm-hmm. Now, for instance, in, um, in Scotland, we have a female political leader in Nicola Sturgeon. She is the first minister. But it's no use just having one woman in charge. Mm-hmm. We've seen the mess that Aung San Suu Kyi has, has made yes. in Myanmar. Absolutely. Um, mm-hmm. So one woman alone uh, can't make a difference. But in Scotland, we have a gender-balanced cabinet of ministers. And just uh, recently, uh, they made um, some new rulings that means that uh, sanitary products will be freely available, free of charge to all women. Now, you could put 20 men in a room for 10 years and not one of them would have come up with that policy. Mm. We have, um, by 2021, we will have free childcare uh, available to women who want to go back into the workplace um, for naught to six-year-olds. And again, it is something that probably never would have entered the, the minds of men. We, um, we don't want to be better than men. We aren't saying that we're better than men. What we're saying is we want to be equal to men. We think differently to men and we should dovetail in nicely. Now, what South Africa needs is a lot more women in government. So, to the Muslim mums and dads out there is 
get your children involved in politics, especially your daughters. We need to see more female input. And, you know, when you look at the glory days of Islam, the golden days when we were world leaders in architecture, engineering, science, uh, mathematics, medicine, all of those, uh, uh, in those halcyon days, women were standing shoulder to shoulder with the men. Now, when you consider that today I can't even come into some mosques in, uh, in South Africa, it is outrageous. Mm -hmm. I, you know, we have the same problem in Britain. This is cultural practice. And, uh, you know, there is no room in Islam for the, this sort of um, cultural practice. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, we need to start and make a change right in our backyards. Look at the mosque committee. How many women are on the mosque committees? Mm. Uh, well, I know it, it's um, probably zero in some areas. We need 50% of women in the mosque committees. 50% of the funds to build those mosques came from women. We are half the ummah and we gave birth to the other half. Mm -hmm. And we need to see that reflected in our society. And where women have been airbrushed out of the scene, you have basket cases of countries that um, are, are in turmoil. We need to get women involved in politics. So thank you for asking the question. No, thank you for answering it so absolutely beautifully because, yes, it, it is extremely important. And, you know, like, again, when, when Nabi Sallallahu Alaihi Wasallam himself was not sure about something, he would resort to his wives and, um, and, and actually take the advice that they gave him and the Sahaba would, you know, follow that. So, um, yes, we do see things differently and, and you're right, we need to get it more involved, really. We do. Well, by the time we got to the third caliph, two women were running the markets in Mecca and Medina. That means women were running the economy, businesses, which, which, hmm. which means that uh, the traders must have been men and women. And of course, we know that Khadija yes. herself was an international businesswoman, very successful in her own right. And it was her money, it was the money of a woman that was used to help found Islam. And when she died, she didn't even have a gold dinar to her name, not even a, a silver dirham. You know, she, uh, she invested in Islam. And uh, we need to see this female influence back again. So what I would say to the Muslim women is the time has come when we need to reclaim our faith, we need to reclaim our position in the faith, which isn't ahead of the men, it's not behind the men, mm. it's shoulder to shoulder with the men. And if the only reason women are being held back because of cultural practices, then shame on those who are holding them back. Yeah, I was just gonna, I'm just thinking that is another topic for another day, getting men to finally see that it's necessary for women to get involved and actually come to the party. So yeah, we've got to really definitely work on that. Now we've almost come, it's almost 10 o'clock. It's been fun for me, absolutely phenomenal speaking to you, really. I, I cannot tell you how much I've absolutely enjoyed this interview. Thank you so much for, for availing yourself. But before, last parting shot, you know, what are the best memories that you're going to be taking with you? Uh, back home now. 
Last night, um, I was at a, a business awards yes. night um, in uh, Johannesburg, and the, the cream of the Muslim society was there, um, all the uh, business entrepreneurs, men and women, mm. and the, uh, this young Nakabi woman uh, came up on stage, and she had been shortlisted uh, for one of these prestigious awards, and she won. Wow. And do you know what? Her business, hmm. she, she just smashed every stereotype that anybody would have held when she walked onto that stage wearing her niqab. She is the CEO of a road construction company. Wow. And she started off as an apprentice pipe layer, you know, um, talk about a man's world, you know. She went into this man's world and not only proved her worth, she formed her own company. And, uh, and, and that company is a great success. And she stood before us all. It wasn't easy for her, no. uh, but she stood before us all. And she spoke with great courage, and that will um, will live with me for a very long time because she was um, absolutely amazing, and as I say, smashed every stereotype that anyone would have held when she uh, walked onto that stage. And and this is what I love about South Africa: uh, you can't judge a book by its cover. You have to start getting inside and start looking more closely, and uh, you will find amazing stories at every every turn. Wow, that is that is so phenomenal. My hair standing on ends. Really, that's uh, it's amazing. Really, and I think it comes back to whatever person puts their mind to, no matter what. I mean, they can just if you can see it, if you can dream it, you can do it. So, um, well done to her. So, say Vaughn, that is. I can't tell you. It's been such a pleasure, really, speaking to you. I wish you well for the rest of your days here in South Africa. I do hope to see you here in another year, inshallah, with your book. Um, at your launch, I will make time. This unfortunately. I couldn't make the conference this Saturday. There were tons of things, but um, it is, is uh, you know, I've got you. I had you for a whole hour the, to myself. The conference <laughs> was amazing, wall yes. to wall, amazing women from young women. Just fantastic. Okay, it, great. it was, and I, I wish I could be. There was just so many things happening. You know, before you go, okay, I have this one question, and it's from the engineer. So he's eating my head up to ask you, please. What is Scotland's national animal? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's the haggis. <laughs> and we have halal haggis. You know, really, I would uh, urge South Africans, uh, we, we celebrate uh, the poet Robert Burns um, on Burns Night in January every year. And uh, I would urge uh, the Muslim community in South <laughs> Africa uh, to become Scottish for the day and, and, uh, and try Halal haggis. Yeah, I'm actually looking at pictures right now, and some some of it looks a bit tempting. Have <laughs> 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 a wonderful chatting to you, really, Jazakallah again for veiling yourself. It's been a pleasure, and we wish you everything of the best for the future and every success in in any endeavor that you may undertake, inshallah. Okay, thank you very much. Thank okay. you. Keep well, and assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh.
Wow, I am on a high at the moment. Um, that was Sister Yvonne Ridley speaking to us and inspiring us on how to be better Muslims, how to make a difference in the Ummah, how to make a difference in other people's lives, how to give more of ourselves, how to use social media to promote Islam, how to do blogs, how to read, um, just just so much that it's, it's amazing. And sometimes a lesson from this more than anything is that when we think of something as a negative in our life, if we think of something as a Tragedy. If we think of something that how could this happen to me, it turns out to be maybe one of the best things that could ever happen, and it changes everything. And I mean, from her um, uh, and capture by the Taliban, she's become Muslim, she's become an ambassador of Deen. Uh, this woman is just phenomenal, and I love her. Till next week, same time, same place, from myself, Shaisa Ibrahim, on Sirius FM, um, we will shall meet again. Assalamu alaikum wa rahmatullahi wa barakatuh. بمؤسسة الخير انطلقت من عبد الله سنى الشفقين سعال نطور خطوتنا ونخط جمالا بالألقي ولنخدم مجتمعا يحيا ونسير بعزم مستبقي ولنخدم مجتمعا يحيا ونسير بعزم مستبقي مستبقي من أرض الوكرة قد بعثت أنوار الحسن المختلقي بحضارة أجداد تنمو وتظل تسير على اللحقي